Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. With Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab an extra latte. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Gillette Health Podcast. I'm James O'Hara, nurse practitioner. I'm Dr. Kyle Gillette. And today we're going to be interviewing Dr. Kyle Gillette and finding out about his path to this point, how he got from a Texas child to a Kansas City individualized, world-renowned hormone expert physician. So um, I suppose we'll start the same way that we did mine. Uh, we'll talk about your childhood trauma. So I understand that you were homeschooled. So I mean, you must have had zero interaction with any other children, just like myself, and it must have been very traumatic. Fortunately, I had a lot of interaction. Um, I, I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. So we were essentially inseparable as we grew up, and we share um, many, if not all, of the same interests. Even now, it seems like if one of us um, gets into a hobby, like longboarding or you know pick any hobby um, all of us will get into it so we're very close my older brother is 18 months older than me and my younger brother is three years younger than me and i actually went through school with my older brother so sometimes i tell people i was second in my graduating class (laughs) (laughs) that's funny and that's a true fact Uh, and i've met your brother he's a great guy so i think you could say that about all of the gillettes um but in any case so I guess homeschooling, you probably didn't have much of a chance to play sports or do any sort of athletic endeavors. So um, how did you get into um, any kind of fitness or or health things at all? Because isn't homeschooling just burying your head in a book? Yeah, for those who don't know the homeschooling community in the Midwest, especially so in Kansas, but I think just across the Midwest in general is um, alive and well, and there's any sport. So you can play Anything from volleyball to soccer to football to basketball to um, pretty much anything that you can think of. And there's debate. I did the geography B, um, but I don't even can't even remember the extracurriculars. Junior Master Gardener, 4-H, um, I did them all. So yeah, that's actually you know 4-H is another thing that we had in common. Um, we were you know plugged in, even though it was a small community where I grew up. Um, intramurals. I remember my 4-H uh, geology exhibit that yeah. I, I won $20 for. Um, and I heard, I think I maybe you've told me or your brother's told me about uh, 4-H stories. Um, so, I mean, I guess what were some of your favorite, I guess, extracurriculars outside of learning and testing and uh, you know, growing up? 
Yeah, um, I really like the animals and growing things for 4-H. I, when I was seven, I had a sheep named Tornado. I actually had a different sheep first, and it was this beautiful, small little sheep that had like gray fur. And um, the person said that it would be a great starter sheep for you know a seven-year-old. I was actually a kind of unrelated note. I was always relatively like small and behind the growth curve, at least for my age. I just kept growing until I was very old. Um, but uh, anyway, this sheep um, died because another sheep killed it. And they said, well, the bad news is, is that your sheep died because a very aggressive sheep killed it. But the good news is we have one sheep left that nobody's claimed and we'll give you that sheep. And it was, of course, the sheep that killed my original sheep. So it basically just drug me all around the 4-H ring. And um, I remember that I was glad that that was not the showmanship show um, because... It was also the biggest, I guess it was a, a Hulk sheep. We can do a natty or not on that sheep. <laughs> and it sold for $129. So I'm starting my bank account with $129. And I thought, I like that. I want to breed animals and sell them. Interesting. It sounds like that could be either a hero story or a villain story. Uh, I think it panned out to the former. Um, but in any case, that's really interesting. So uh, when we talk about you know animal breeding and you know pets in general, I know that you have two uh, very large and impressive uh, wolfhounds, which you've posted about on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, what are some things that you know people? It's interesting because it's almost like with dogs, it's that artificial natural selection. You can, mm-hmm. you know, over thousands of years, we've selected for different traits. So, um, what are some things that you know I don't know a lot about, and what are some things that the audience might find particularly interesting about that field? Because you always come up with these yeah. gems. Yeah, I can talk about dog genetics and dog breeding, animal breeding, probably for, for literally hours. Um, I specifically don't talk about it around Maddie, my wife, because she's heard all the stories at the same time. But um, world wars, especially um, one and two, the main ones, cause a great genetic bottlenecking of purebred, I call them you know, inbred dog species. And unless you have outcrossing, which is introducing new genetic material, you have high incidences of genetic diseases. Osteosarcoma is a very common one in wolfhounds and also um, Great Danes. Mastiffs have their own problems. Um, So each breed kind of has its own unique problems. But um, there's a project called the Dog Aging Project. And um, before I was aware of this, um, I was looking into my wolfhounds and I came to the conclusion that they needed to be on rapamycin. And there's actually a project, so you can Google dog aging project. And if you have a specific dog breed that has a high incidence of uh, genetically related cancers, this is a uh, study that they're looking at. So um, I'm interested in, I, I don't know if you'd still call it public health, but public canine health. So emphasizing outcrossing, strong red dogs, and um, maybe I have a little bit of California in me because... Um, I consider both of my dogs kind of a rescue. Yeah, the California thing for sure. So rescued from a farm just outside the city. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you know dogs, pets in general are wonderful. And I mean, as long as you get along with your animal, there's data to support um, you know better stress levels, blood pressure, and and you see people making memes about, memes about this when they are holding up this highly aggressive Chihuahua, talking about how good it is for their blood pressure mm-hmm. while it's trying to to bite them. <laughs> Um, so anyway, you, um, are a fairly tall athletic guy now. So I assume that when you went into uh, college university, you, you had a, a full ride scholarship for you know, track and field. I know you're quite the runner, some sort of athletic 
uh, endeavor? How did that go? Yeah, so um, probably around middle school, I uh, had I've actually decided I was probably twelve or thirteen at the time. Um, I decided I want to be a doctor. I want to take care of patients holistically. I saw dad do that at his full spectrum practice, um, birth to death, and I wanted to help in the same way. So I went for the same scholarship that he had. He went to KU for undergrad and I was going to get the same scholarship. So I met all the criteria, I got all the right scores and whatnot. And um, that's all I was going to do. I had not a ton of interest in sports. So um, uh, I also wanted to go to, I also thought about going to what's called a six-year program. So in the podcast that we had with you, you kind of talked about the risk and benefits of um, requiring a BSN for nurses. And in a lot of countries, people don't go to undergrad and then med school. A lot of times you go straight to med school. Some MBBS programs are like that. But in order to become a medical doctor, in most countries, it does not require that college experience. But since I had started uh, school with my older brother, who was a year and a half older, I was 15 and I was done with all of my high school classes and I was ready to go to college. So I thought I'll either go to JUCO for a year, um, you know, cheap, or think about going to KU or UMKC, the two big colleges. So I visited both of them and I realized that although I was a very mature individual and I already had uh, full-time jobs, um, I just did not fit in whatsoever with the people that were doing that. Otherwise, I would have gone to six-year uh, med school. So and to let that sink in for people, you were 15 at this time, um, and a six-year program would have put you at graduating medical school at age 21. Is that yes. right? Yes. So um, that would have been a very different life trajectory, and I believe that it would have, I think that God led me in a different direction and that I needed kind of that more holistic development in and of myself. Not necessarily the social development, but the, the mental development of being ready to encounter human nature of all sorts, if you will. Yeah, that's pretty profound. So at 15, you already had this sense of like this, this high you know, emotional intelligence to see like, oh, you know, these people are probably not, um, you know, this probably isn't a suitable environment for me. Um, and kind of knowing, you know, hey, maybe I, you know, don't take the fastest possible route to becoming an MD, mm -hmm. um, but I take a little bit of time, have some growth, do things that I like to do. Um, are there any you know, experiences that you would attribute this or, or things that you know, your parents instilled in you? Uh, or what do you think accounts for that level of like maturity and not just um, like book intelligence, but also emotional intelligence at 15 years old? Yeah, I think a lot of it was... Um, just being raised with my brothers, especially my older brother. Um, my, I was asking my grandpa, who's a pilot, about what the most important things about having a life that is like, you know, uh, having self-actualization in life. And uh, he said, surrounding yourself with good people. And good does not necessarily mean like good at their jobs or just like, um, likable but people who are kind of in the same boat as you and they you can push each other forward so um that way you're all in the same boat and you're all rowing the same way at the same time and being coordinated with that and i think that's what i've done in other aspects of my life as well but it's very easy just like if you look at younger siblings when they see their older sibling play in a sport basketball for example 
then it is just literally easier for them to get to that same level at an earlier age. Kind of pulls you along for the ride. Yeah, you kind of have that um, cuts the learning curve where you have an accelerated trajectory and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. So if you're always competing against someone who uh, is more you know, physically advanced, then your, your skills are just going to develop mm-hmm. faster. Um, same thing when you know, people want to you know, improve in, like, say, chess, right? You want to mm-hmm. play against someone who's not easy to beat every yes. time. It, you won't get any better. Yep. Um, and you mentioned something earlier about, you know, uh, growing slow um, and then you grew for a long time. So was this something that you were, you know, I guess, medically interested in, even at a young age? Or I assume that, you know, you had some you know, passive learning of you know, medical things with your father being a, a family medicine doctor. Yeah, um, not from a very young age. I probably became most interested in it around age 18, after I started college. Um, I didn't think a lot about it, but I definitely grew several years, like my growth spurt was several years after most of the other people my age. And some of that's just familial. I think some of it has to do with a, like a relatively low aromatization rate, like low estrogen, which is kind of an, kind of a very persistent problem. Um, but I think one of the times that I became more interested in my personal health is when I went to the doctor, I had a couple different doctors, Dr. Church, Dr. Rado, but anyway, um, I went, got an exam just like I should, and I was probably 18 or 19, and they said, oh, well, you have varicocele, and I said, well, yes, I've, I'm aware that's developed, and they talked about fertility, and they talked about hormones, and I think they did a good job of actually talking to me, um, perhaps also because they're friends with my dad, but that definitely spiked a bit of an interest in, um, I guess, health optimization. Um, Uh, I guess in addition to that, it also made me think about my health a lot. So I'm always thinking about each aspect of my health, probably a terrible patient. And a lot of people, um, including my wife, call me a hypochondriac. So maybe that gives me some, I don't know if I would call it better empathy, but it definitely gives me a different type of empathy. Interesting. Uh, for a, a hypochondriac, I think you are a little overdue on some blood work. So yeah. we'll chat about that. Um, but in any case, yeah, that's really interesting because it sounds like they did a really good job of not you know, totally dismissing this finding. You know, hey, don't worry about it. Don't yep. think about it again. But also not making it a traumatic experience where it's like you will have terrible health because of this. Mm-hmm. You know, your entire identity is tied to this one, you know, finding one condition that you have. Yes. So interesting that it's sort of this, started this hormone sort of trajectory because you can't um, really talk about the sequelae of that without addressing you know, the hormonal factors that are influencing this. So I assume, uh, well, let me just ask you, did you consider going into endocrinology or did you have any input from um, you know, Dr. Gillette, your father, on as to you know, where you should go and how you should navigate medical school? like? how to get into this program or this residency or these fellowships and all these sorts of things. Yeah. Um, After 13 or 14, my interest has not wavered. It's always been be a family doctor, full spectrum, deliver babies, care for people when they're old across the entire lifespan for the whole family. And uh, I've always also known that I wanted to do concierge medicine. So I knew that I wanted to do a really good job and not be limited in the constraints of time. Um, a, not a ton of input, uh, family wise, like not too much pushing one way or another, but 
a lot of people in the medical community where I went to med school um, very strongly advised me not to go into family medicine. And why do you think that is? It's because in general, if you are a, like if you're a better qualified applicant, you go into a specialty that on average pays more. And that is one of the only reasons family medicine doesn't have a significantly worse burnout rate. Neurosurgery has the worst burnout rate and the least satisfaction rate. And also coincidentally, the most hours a week, I think it's 70 something hours a week on average um, for a neurosurgeon. But um, that's one of the main reasons. And this was also me going to a medical school that heavily emphasized primary care. So, you know, the Dean of, of Student Affairs, who was excellent while I was there, he never emphasized or like tried to convince me to go into a different specialty. But um, pretty much every resident and other medical student that I talked to did. I see. And that's because I think people are looking at um, not, not necessarily like what is most congruent with what goals you have, um, or what type of medicine you want to practice, but just looking at the data in terms of like, oh, if you can have X amount of dollars, you have X amount of quality mm -hmm. of life. And if you look at those distribution charts of the average annual salaries, you see that, you know, the specialties tend to make significantly more than someone who's doing internal mm -hmm. medicine, family medicine, pediatrics, um, which arguably should be the foundation of health if we're looking at a more preventive approach or an mm -hmm. individual approach yeah. as opposed to, you know, catching up with things on the tail end. Um, and this is something where I might um, differ from my differ in my opinion to some people with um, like a lot of nurse practitioners just going into the primary care environment, yep. especially if that's family where you have like newborns to 90 year olds, because in my mind that requires the largest breadth and, and depth of knowledge mm -hmm. um, because you have the most potential to see the most number of different diagnoses compared to if you're in a cardiology clinic, for example, you're going to see more of the rare things, but there's kind of a finite amount of things that you see in each of these specialties, as opposed to like, if you're a family medicine physician, like you have to be prepared and know all these different things in each and every specialty. And sometimes that does mean, you know, referring these things, but sometimes it means you know, treating these things and then um, referring them to a, a specialist secondary to getting someone you know, stabilized sort of. Yeah, I agree. It is a legitimate public health concern. And we'll talk about this with Taylor as well, that th the current model does not put its money where its mouth is. So in order to emphasize primary care and preventive medicine, then you need to compensate the people who do that um, adequately in order to emphasize a lot of your best applicants going into these specialties. That's Bit of an aside, we don't need to talk about like, uh, you know, uh, public health too much at this point. But I do think that one of the things that helped me overcome that, again, is the experience with all the different, I guess you can call them side gigs or jobs. So whether it's uh, breeding giant silk moths or selling uh, fish, breeding fish and selling back to the pet store, growing vegetables or, um, you know, maybe even mowing lawns, I, I kind of had this unconscious knowledge that I can do whatever I like and then monetize it, which is kind of the opposite of what someone like, I think it's Mike Rowe um, talks about, you know, at, at the end of the day, you need to provide for your family and do something that's going to be able to provide for your family. Mm -hmm. But because 
I started working and saving. And that's another thing we have in common is uh, if we took a student loan, I don't think you did, I think I did, pay them off as soon as possible. So even after residency, when I was already board certified, I had my MD live with my parents for almost a year, even with a newborn and a pregnant wife, in order to work as hard as possible to pay off the loan. I had to take loans for med school, mm -hmm. um, not for college. But that's just a, a very stark contrast to a lot of people that um, uh, like it, you need to plan from a very early age if you're going to be able to do something that you love. So what I'm doing now is what it like if there was no money, I would do the exact same thing and it would just be a hobby. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And I remember having the same kind of rationalization where it's like, OK, I could get a, you know, a federal student loan and. In hindsight, you know, having received a, a Pell Grant could have potentially have gotten that forgiven. But, you know, I, I don't lose any sleep over that. I don't really think about it. Um, but I was like, OK, I can just pay you know, $2,000 per month and pay my tuition instead of borrowing and accruing interest and all these sorts of things. Yep. And then I was like plugging that into at the time, like a mortgage calculator. And I was like, I was like, wow, I was like, that buys a, like a half a million dollar house. And I'm like, I don't need that. Um, so I was just like, Put this money into paying for it, probably not a five thousand yeah. five hundred thousand dollar house anymore but at the time uh, that's what it could buy so yeah. I, I remember having those things where you, know, you and i i think are both very you know, frugal and financially responsible mm -hmm. um and you know kind of mapped out our way um so save big on brunch for mom all in the kroger app get 16 ounce packs of flavorful angus 90 percent lean ground sirloin for 4.99 each with a digital coupon then buy two get two free on 12 packs of delicious coca-cola pepsi or 7-up all with your card shop these deals at your local kroger less than five miles away or tap the screen now to download the kroger app to save big today kroger fresh for everyone prices and product availability subject to change restrictions apply see site for details so when you went to med school um, and you talked about you know, having these different hobbies. Um, how would people describe Kyle Gillette as like the person that fill in the blank or most likely to fill in the blank? One of my very good friends and roommates said, um, Kyle's goal in life is to have as much fun as possible. Yeah, I think that's, that's accurate. I, we certainly work hard, uh, but we certainly play hard and have a lot of fun as well. So, and we have fun while we're working. So yep. that, that's a, a fantastic way to, to live your life, really, I think. Um, and then I understand you also, and I've heard you talk about this on podcasts, so cutting and coloring hair, um, <laughs> you may not have had the credentials to do this, but... Mm -mm. Um, I was not a <laughs> uh, credentialed uh, esthetician or cosmetologist. So cosmetologists would have called you a quack at the time. Yes, because I was an unlicensed individual. <laughs> but in most cases, I did not receive any sort of payment. Uh, so this was uh, another frugal decision. You were helping out your colleagues in med school to um, have a nice sharp cut uh, without burning through lots of money to do so. Yes. But um, yeah, no, that's one of the reasons why I love aesthetics. Um, I liked to cut and color men's and women's hair. And, um, you know, there's, there's something immediate about that. And it's something that, that's tactile as well. Um, I think it's transitioned nicely into our aesthetics practice. Yeah, it's nice to have, you know, when we talk about the art of medicine, you hear that term all the time. And now there's even this art, uh, there's the, like, subjective side to it, there's the objective data, and then there's also technology. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, our colleague Taylor really summarized this well because it's like it's this you know marriage of medicine and technology. So you've got the art, the science, and the technology now, and you really can't separate those two. Um, I mean, unless you're just running everything through the USPSTF guidelines and taking 27 hours per day to deliver guideline-driven care. I saw a headline about that the other day that Taylor and I chatted about. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was looking at if, like, if you took the time and you just like went and looked up these guidelines and did everything that you were supposed to do for every single condition people have, mm-hmm. that it takes a substantial amount of time to actually deliver like guideline-based care. Yep. Yeah, that's a that's a good way to look at it. All right. Is there anything else that I should ask you about? Um, I guess we could talk like I'm married as well. So that's right. We have something in common. So Kyle, are you married? Yes. Yeah. It's and a question that you... we do get. If you, if you type in Kyle Gillette, I think uh, Kyle Gillette wife pops up. Yeah. So how did you meet your wife? Yeah. Um, we met in Springfield and um, three months later we were engaged. And then three months after that, we eloped to Hawaii. Mm-hmm. We were married. Interesting. And this is something else that we have in common. Yeah. Um, my wife and I also eloped to Hawaii. And what um, what was the year that you got married in Hawaii? Ooh, don't put me in the spot. Uh, 28? <laughs> wait a second. 2018? That's the same year that my wife and I eloped <laughs> and we're also married in Hawaii. Yes, I think it was the same year. Yeah, yeah. June. September. Nice. Pretty good. Yeah, so we just missed each other in passing there. Yep. It's, it's really interesting. So... Um, you met uh, your wife in Springfield, Missouri, yep. uh, eloped to Hawaii, um, and then you've got a couple of really athletic boys, don't you? Yeah. Uh, we have two boys. Ozzy just turned three, and Archer is one and a half. So uh, they work out with me, and they're they're pretty crazy. They tend the chickens. We have uh, acre and a half and big gardens, of which mostly Maddie tends to. Um, Grant's also a green thumb, as you may have talked about on the podcast you did with him. But uh, definitely spend a solid amount of time doing that. It's kind of a nice break from, I know you've talked about how like school is a break from work, work's a break from school. Uh, family life is kind of a break from work and then work's kind of a break from family life too. Yeah, it's nice to break things up into chunks like that. So you have like your work life, which is also social, but then you have your social life where you're mm-hmm. not actively working and then you have your you know, family life and quality time. And you know, I think that's um, you know, focusing on quality time mm-hmm. for Myself and my wife has been a really positive thing for us uh, in our relationship. Yep. So, you know, it's just kind of structuring your life in a way that's going to, or I guess, building your own algorithm yep. to get to the end result that you want to be. Our social life is pretty similar, too. We both like to be around people 100% of the time. Yeah, we talked about this because there's different um, levels on like the spectrum, right? Some mm-hmm. people are you know, more labeled as introverts and they have kind of a you know, they get their dose of socialization and they kind mm-hmm. of retreat back and they really enjoy that piece and, you know, just, um, you know, cuddling up with a book or, or something of that sort. Yep. Uh, and for myself, I think if I'm looking at like every activity that I could be doing, even if it's reading a book, mm-hmm. like if someone else is reading the same book at the same time, which maybe we'll get there with Neuralink someday yeah, and we can you know, share thoughts between that. I think that's something that I wouldn't be like, no, I need to do this like on my own or yep listening to some of our favorite podcasts. It's like, mm-hmm. that could be a, a social activity. A lot of times Definitely. I'm just driving by myself when I'm listening, but I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to like talk to Kyle about this or tell my wife about this. Because you know, yep. I, I hear things that I think are interesting. Um, 
fact check them if they sound particularly um, too good to be true a lot of time mm -hmm. and then you know, try to disseminate those things to friends, family, and our audience now. I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't change anything. Yeah. Um, I think our bachelor lives have some similarities as well. So meal prepping a lot of chicken, driving very old cars, um, living in very frugal locations, maybe not beneath and like in a wine cellar or on the floor of the basement, <laughs> but yeah, my, uh, my first apartment was $300 per month. Um, I think we both still quite, we drive, you know, older, but a little bit more reliable vehicles now. A little bit. Safety is a, is a, a bit more important when you have a family. I still miss my van. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, chicken and rice. Um, I remember you know, meal prepping, just chicken and rice. Cause you know, I, I read about weightlifting and bodybuilding and that was something that I could like, you know, okay, if, even if I only have like 30 minutes or 45 minutes in my day mm -hmm. of spare time, so I, I can do this and be good for my health. I can eat healthy foods. Those were things that I had control over mm -hmm. um, when I was just kind of being passed back and forth, you know, work and school and work and school. So I think it's important for people to find something like that, a sense of control. So, you know, meal prepping, how far in advance were you meal prepping at any one point? Depending on how discounted the chicken was at Walmart. So, you know, if it was like 99 cent chicken breast, I, I think I got 60 pounds at one point. That's so, a lot of preparation. That's, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> yeah. Big freezer. Yeah, yeah. Deep freezer is a great investment uh, for anybody out there who wants to stock up on whole foods that you can freeze mm -hmm. and, and store for a long time. I, I think they're great. Um, but yeah, I remember, you know, I had once a week, I would just prep out everything. Uh, maybe that's a little bit too far for some people. But for me, I'm like, this is the time I have. Mm -hmm. and, and that system worked. And uh, the first time that uh, my wife now, but um, girlfriend at the time came over to the apartment and saw this mountain of Tupperware dishes that needed to be done. Because I also did those once a week. She thought, oh no, we're going to have to put James in a home. Mm -hmm. He can't take care of himself. He can't take care of his apartment. Yeah. But that was strategic. Yeah. That would be sad if you had to go to a home. Um, I think I remember um, my house had no floors, only subfloors. And I had um, no... Uh, either no utensils or no, uh, yeah, I think I just had paper plates and then utensils, actual utensils. And that was pretty much all I had in the house. But I was an intern in residency, so that kind of makes sense. I would, I just wasn't there. Yeah, and do residents get free food? Because I know there's these doctor's lounges in the hospital where nurses can't go, but I see people coming out with, or used to see people coming out with all kinds of goodies. Yeah, um, over my, I don't know if it was even the first, it was probably halfway through the first year until halfway through the second year, um, definitely gained some weight. Or maybe it was second year to third year. Yeah, I probably gained about 30 to 40 pounds of bad weight during residency. And right around the time that we had our, maybe it was sympathy weight, right when we had our first son, um, I noticed that I had that. And then I went on a zero liquid calorie diet. I ate my Greek yogurt, my spinach, my carrots, low calorie dense foods that I liked. And I started exercising more and got that off. But that was definitely an odd experience um, given that I had not experienced, you know, I haven't gone through that before. So now I have. Interesting. Yeah, I would say that my nutritional mistake and, and maybe even someone asked me this question the other day on a podcast that if you could go back to your, you know, 20 year old self, you know, what would you tell yourself? And I would probably say that the Pop-Tart bulk wasn't a great idea. 
Uh, I don't think that uh, Greg Doucette had invented main gaining yet. No. So I thought you had to eat a lot of calories to get big and, and gain muscle. And uh, I also, the other piece of advice would have been to myself to check some blood work because it probably didn't look so good at the time. Probably not. Yeah, around that time, I remember making protein ice cream. I saw the video, Greg Doucette had a video. He's, I think he's taken it down now. It was one of my favorite ones. But anyway, um, I made my anabolic protein ice cream. Um, those low calorie dense foods really helped. We used to watch, we used to do Coach Greg and Chill, Maddie and I would. And I think that's, I think both of us would watch um, Derek, More Plates, More Dates as well. These are kind of tangential channels with Greg Doucette. And that's kind of how we got connected as well. Yeah, I remember this is probably back, gosh, when I was in high school, I think when like More Plates, More Dates came out and was yep. a thing. Um, and then like, you know, the, these self-improvement forums. I remember um, Chris, can't think of his last name right Diodes. now. Yeah, Diodes yeah. was putting out content and I was like, oh, like self-improvement, lifting weights. Like, you know, this is something that seems like it can only benefit me. Yep. Um, depending on how far you take it. Obviously, I didn't become a professional bodybuilder <laughs> because there's less of an ROI on that sort of investment. Yep. But the same question for you, I guess, um, if you were looking back at um, Kyle Gillette at age 20, you know, would you change anything? Would you give yourself any advice um, or would you just continue the current path? Yeah, I think I would have implemented um, various things earlier in life than I did. So when I was 20, um, I'd really never lifted weights and I didn't think about my diet. Um, you know, I didn't think about trans fats. I didn't think about liquid calories. Um, just implementing the things that I have a little bit earlier. So probably nothing too major. I do remember one particular funny story um, when, uh, I think it was before Maddie and I were married, and I was trying to explain why I had ketoconazole shampoo despite not having a fungal infection. So that was, that was a funny time. Interesting. Yeah, I remember when the, you know, the big, the big three stack sort of came out for yep. hair loss, hair loss prevention. And um, I, I guess I thought I was immune to that until I was about 22. Uh, and then I was like, you know, the, the story that everybody hears, it's like, oh, you, you start noticing it here and there. And you're like, oh, maybe it's just the lighting. Um, but, you know, I am not immune to you know, male pattern baldness. So I think we all have that. Well, not all of us, but most of us have that Almost point in time. Everyone. Maybe yeah. when someone's in their 20s, maybe when someone's in their 50s. Um, yep. There's a few lucky ones out there that uh, the Norwood Reaper leaves alone, right? Yep. Very lucky. I'd like to to see why because there's many different types, but that's a, that's kind of another topic. It's, we'll have a hair loss podcast yeah. if it's not posted before this one. Yeah, that's right. No, I think this has uh, been a really insightful podcast. People kind of get to know Dr. Kyle Gillette a little bit and not just the wonderful knowledge and information that you put out. So anything else that we need to chat about? I think that's it. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thanks so much for tuning in to meet Dr. Kyle Gillette and may God bless you with happiness and healthiness. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. 
Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real Traveler Reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.